it's going to make me cry. It's probably made by Pixar. Any Pixar fans around here? Pixar Studios tells really good stories. And I found a quote online that says it like this. Pixar understands that moving films are based on relatable characters whose stories convey some core truth about being alive. In WALL-E, a lonely trash-collecting robot shows a lost and aimless people how to be human again. In Coco, the richness of Mexico, its music and its tradition tell the story of a young boy's journey to reconcile his family and find his way home on the Day of the Dead. Inside Out personifies and validates all of our emotions. And in the movie Up, we follow a grumpy old man named Carl Fredrickson, who gets a new lease on life when a, he and a, a precocious young boy named Russell accidentally go on an adventure to South America in a little yellow house held aloft by a gigantic raft of helium balloons. If you're a fan, you know well enough which enormously famous scene, a beloved scene for the movie Up, has become its own entire thing. It's popularly known as the Up montage, and boy, that short bit of thoughtful and remarkable storytelling really gets you. The Up montage explains how Carl got here in the first place. It builds the tension and it ably sets up the entire story and it only takes a few minutes. Distilling the events of half a lifetime into a few short scenes. It walks us through the years of Ellie and Carl's marriage and life together. We can see that Ellie is the best thing that's ever happened to Carl. And she shares with him a sense of delight and wonder and joy in the world. We catch glimpses, glimpses of their tenderness and their love formed in the habits of days. We see some of their financial struggles, their hard choices, their mishaps, their home renovations and days in the park watching the clouds. Considering the fact that Up is an animated film, there's a substantial measure of disappointment and grief and loss in that story, too. The Up montage is a famous tearjerker. There's some intense realness in those few short minutes. The writer of Luke's Gospel was a master storyteller, to be sure, And we find ourselves today in the introduction, the setup, a whole bunch of years distilled into a few short chapter verses, sorry, introducing us to some relatable characters while knitting together the long history and drama of the Hebrew people with the fresh possibilities as they were being revealed in Jerusalem. The spirit of creation was moving. The angel of the Lord was making visitations. The times, the hair had changed. 
The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a sweet and tender one. It's deeply human, and it's miraculous. With its own measure of intense realness. Zechariah and Elizabeth were a couple of kids who grew up in families with a long history. A history of serving as priests to God's people. According to the text, Zechariah belonged to a family that traced its origins all the way back to Aaron, the original priest, the first priest. And we're told that his wife Elizabeth is also a descendant of Aaron. Which meant that both of them had grown up their entire lives with the understanding that sacred practice and ministry, offerings and prayers Traditions and rituals and solemn worship was literally in their blood. It was a part of who they were. The first character mentioned in the Zechariah and Elizabeth story is Herod the Great. And it's easy to miss, but before we get into the rest of the story, it's an important detail that we shouldn't skip past. As the king of Judea, Herod enthusiastically supported the Roman occupation, and benefited from it greatly. He eked out a unique sort of success for himself as a, as a hedonist, uh, an aristocrat, a megalomaniac, and a brutal tyrant who was also plagued by depression and paranoia. Both despised and celebrated as Herod the Great, Herod was famous for his massive building projects and exercises in engineering including the lavish restoration of the temple in Jerusalem. Autocrats and despots love to use religion when it suits them. Herod frames the story for us, setting us in a unique place in history, a space of time before Jerusalem was destroyed and burnt to rubble by Rome. In Herod's day, the occupation brought its own form of select benefits. Benefits that were marked and tainted in a deeply troubling and compromised way. A humiliating way, even. Herod's reign reminds us of the ways that scoundrels and creeps sometimes seem to keep on winning. Herod marks everything that is broken and unjust about our political systems, no matter what age you're living. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived and worked in Herod's Jerusalem. Zechariah and Elizabeth were well on in years and had no children. And if you're familiar with the famous families of the Old Testament, you've seen stories just like this. Women like Sarah. Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Samson's mom. They gave birth to people like Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Samson, and Samuel. Each of these stories is marked by a woman's deep personal sorrow, followed by an astonishing intervention by a God who knows her struggle. The hope of a new life, the birth of a child would be set apart for a special purpose, a life of ministry and service. 
This thematic callback in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth roots Luke's story in the ongoing account of God's purposes. Purposes revealed in the lives of regular people. Now let's be clear, Zechariah wasn't a high priest. He wasn't one of the big shots. He was the low-level associate priest, several steps down the ladder, who just happened to have his name drawn from the hat when it was his family's biannual turn to serve at the altar of incense. Or is it semi-annual? Twice a year? Semi-annual? Semi-annual. Semi-annual turn to serve at the altar of incense. Dressed in his ceremonial garb, maintaining the rituals and formality of the office, Zachariah was tending to the coals on the altar. And the faithful people of Herod's Jerusalem were praying outside in the courtyard. They were praying for the kinds of stuff that people pray for, praying for the nation of Israel and that holy, compromised city, praying for peace, praying for justice, praying for healing and mercy and renewal, praying blessings for their families. Praying for God to show up. And then this story gets to be a real Bible story. Because an angel meets Zechariah there in the chamber with a fantastic promise. Good news. Elizabeth would bear a son. And not just any son, but a consecrated one. Great in the sight of the Lord set apart for holy purposes with the spirit and power of the mighty prophet Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, despite the presence of an angel named Gabriel, Zechariah just for some reason isn't buying it. This is just too far-fetched an idea. Maybe he forgot about all those Saturday school stories about all those other women But the angel decides to drive the point home. And the angel of the Lord delivering a message also punishes Zechariah by removing his ability to speak, rendering that old skeptic speechless. Now imagine if we were that people gathered outside in the courtyard, praying and waiting, maybe even getting a little bored, Wondering why it was taking so long for Zechariah to emerge from the sanctuary. And then, what a sight it must have been for a disoriented, and speechless, dazed priest stumbling through the doorway. Humbled and blessed. Of course, the beginnings of a new thing in Elizabeth's body are mirrored by the fresh joy and gratitude rising in her heart. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me. After all those hard years, so many days of wondering and waiting, so many prayers, and not only a blessing on a married couple was happening, God was showing up. 
This was good news for the people praying outside in the courtyard, for all the citizens of the holy city, and as it turns out, for all the people even. Friends, this is the pattern of God's action in the world. Regular folks living out their days, waiting and praying and wondering, surprised to see the ways that God's goodness and mercy comes into their lives, amazed to find themselves a part of something strange and wonderful, a little bit scary and beautiful. Maybe they didn't tell you this when you signed up, but the Christian faith involves a whole lot of waiting. There's even that famous old gospel tune based on Isaiah 40, Teach Me, Lord, to Wait. We've baked waiting into our whole thing. In Scripture, we call to mind the many times in the story when God's people waited. We wait for answers to our own secret prayers. And we're waiting for God to show up in our bad situations. And we are waiting for the promised renewal of everything. The reconciliation and the healing of the whole of creation. During the season of Advent, the season of waiting, we take weeks to name this holy anticipation. The thing that frames and informs our life of faith and worship year after year after year. Advent is a hungry city ruled by a corrupt king. Advent is anxious citizens of an occupied state praying in the courtyard. Advent is the cry of an extinct species in polluted waterways. Advent names the way our ecosystem and our common life and our political life is so terribly damaged. Advent is the private sorrow and disappointment we offer to God. Advent is the whole of creation waiting for God to show up. Now, I tried really hard to think of a current event, some sort of news item or global phenomena that might speak to a great corporate waiting period. Maybe a time in history when the whole world anticipated the arrival of something or someone who might help us all out of a tight spot. I I couldn't think of anything. Maybe you can share an idea that you have with us over coffee later. As we begin a new year, though, a year of work and life and worship together, citizens gathered in prayer for our distressed planet and its creatures, blessing one another as we care for our sisters and our brothers, as we're vulnerable, sharing our hopes and our deep needs with one another, humbled and blessed. May we have eyes to see the great scope of God's purposes made known in the world. And may our lives tell a story of new life, of gratitude, of joy, and wonder. Amen.